0: Ask anyone over a certain age what event in Bakersfield's history altered the city's landscape the most. They'll undoubtedly tell you the 1952 earthquake, and i challenge that. Of course, the 1952 earthquake was devastating, multiple buildings and landmarks were damaged or destroyed completely, and the earthquake claimed two lives. There's no denying that it was a tragedy, but when the dust settled, the destruction caused by the earthquake was nothing compared to the destruction caused by the disaster that visited Bakersfield six decades before. This is The Day Bakersfield Burned Down. Remember, I welcome suggestions for future stories. If you have a story idea, you can contact me through the website, NotoriousBakersville.com. Click the contact link to send me a message. And while you're at NotoriousBakersville.com, you can show your support. Click the support link to buy me a cup of coffee. Be sure to follow the Notorious Bakersfield social media pages. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Pictures related to each episode, including this one, are posted to those social media pages. When Colonel Thomas Baker began exploring the area of the lower Kern River, which was then called... Kern Island in the early 1860s, the very few non-native inhabitants were facing a persistent challenge. After building their thatched dwellings and planting their crops, the Kern River would regularly flood and displace them. These floods weren't limited to a particular season, but occurred throughout the year. They happened during the winter rains and continued into the spring and summer months, made worse by the melting snow from the Sierra Mountains that overwhelmed the already swollen river. Colonel Baker understood that his vision for the area's potential could only be realized if the Kern River was brought under control. Taming the river became his primary objective. By reclaiming the fertile land beneath the wild waters, Baker aimed to create a more hospitable environment, not only for himself and his family, but for anyone seeking to settle in the Kern Island area. In 1863, Colonel Baker relocated his family to Kern Island. They took up residence in a thatched hut previously inhabited by Christian Bona, a pioneer who got fed up with the constant flooding and moved to drier land. Over the course of several years, Baker and other settlers, lacking the luxury of heavy machinery, managed to redirect the Kern River. Through manual labor and assistance from livestock, these pioneers accomplished the task by digging a network of ditches and canals, a remarkable achievement by any measure. In these early days of our community's existence, Colonel Baker recognized the danger that fire presented to him and his fellow villagers. Taking initiative at his homestead near the intersection of 19th and M Streets, Baker introduced the area's inaugural firefighting equipment. In preparation for any fire emergencies, a wagon containing water-filled barrels and wooden buckets stood ready. Additionally, a repurposed iron wagon wheel and sledgehammer were hung from a nearby tree branch to serve as the community's first fire alarm. Instructions were given to people of all ages in the village urging them to strike the sledgehammer against the iron wagon wheel at the slightest sign of fire. This historical account dates back to 1868. Kern Island eventually transformed into the city of Bakersfield. With its growth and development, the city's fire protection and alert system also evolved accordingly. However, despite the progress made over the following 25 years, the advancements in firefighting capabilities proved insufficient July 7, 1889. In an interview with the Bakersfield Californian in 1930, the city's fire chief from 1889, O.O. Matson, recalls the day of Bakersfield's great fire like this. Quote, It was a peaceful Sunday morning that July 7th. The city was practically deserted. Church services in many cases were over. The townsfolk, in wagon and buggy, on foot and on horse made a dash for the Kern River picnic spots to escape the heat of a noonday sun, hey, The spark that ignited that great fire was initially described as... Minor, insignificant, not a big deal. A kitchen fire broke out at the Kelsey family home near 20th and I Streets. Fire Chief Matson and another firefighter, preparing to battle the blaze, pushed a hose cart into position. When they turned on the water supply, the stream rose only two feet from the nozzle. A frantic search was launched for the superintendent of the Scribner Water Tower, which stood at 17th and Chester Avenue. He couldn't be found. As precious time passed trying to locate the superintendent, that once minor kitchen fire grew and grew and grew. It spread to the buildings on each side of the residence, then to a structure directly to the south across the alley, From there, the flames danced east along 19th Street. Still, the superintendent of the Scribner Water Tower couldn't be found. As the fire made its way along 19th Street, citizens rushed into threatened buildings. They grabbed whatever they could, removed the valuables, and piled them into the middle of the street. The still-under-construction Southern Hotel was directly in the fire's path. This location is where we call the old J.C. Penney building on the northwest corner of 19th and Chester. Here, too, citizens ran in and ran out carrying furnishings, stacking them in the middle of Chester Avenue. Just before the flames reached the Southern Hotel, a slight breeze from the northwest pushed the flames south across 19th Street. The introduction of a breeze only exasperated The chaos, now the fire, had engulfed structures on both sides of 19th Street and was still heading towards the Southern Hotel. After barreling through the hotel, the breeze pushed the flames across Chester Avenue and continued on its path of destruction. The Southern Hotel was one of five hotels lost that day, five hotels, 147 businesses, and half of the city's homes. Fifteen square city blocks were left in ruins. Each structure that was destroyed was constructed mostly of wood. In less than three hours, nearly the entire city of Bakersfield was destroyed, and 1,500 people were left homeless. The census conducted in 1890, one year after the fire, puts Bakersfield's population at 2,626. So more than half of Bakersfield's citizens were left homeless. Surprisingly, only one life was lost. Patrick O'Connell, a resident of the James Hotel, was killed when he was trapped in a second-story room. Those possessions people risked their lives to rescue, grabbing what they could and piling them in the middle of the streets. Those efforts were futile. The embers and the intense heat from the fire ignited those goods where they sat, in the middle of Bakersfield's dirt roads. The superintendent of the Scribner Water Tower was eventually found, but it was much too late. The majority of the damage to Bakersfield Had been done. It was discovered the superintendent was in church for the majority of the time the fire was burning out of control. This was printed in the Californian quote, Rome may have gone up in smoke while Nehru fiddled, but this water company superintendent prayed while Bakersfield burned, unquote. I find it interesting that the name of this superintendent was never printed in the paper. The irony of all this, the Scribner water tower itself was nearly consumed by the raging inferno. Thankfully, it was saved, but it was a close call. I could never find the exact count for the number of firefighters who were paid employees. But it doesn't appear to be more than a handful, reinforced by 120 volunteer firefighters. Since there was no telephones and most of Bakersfield was escaping the summer heat, only 60 volunteer firefighters responded to that fire alarm that day firefighting apparatus on hand July 7th was one hand fire engine, a push cart two hand pushed hose carts a hook and ladder truck that was pulled by horses and 1,000 feet of rubber hose. If you're wondering about the water situation Bakersville did have a supply for this type of emergency it came from the town ditch and carried to downtown by wooden water pipes Each intersection had a water plug, but through the years those wooden water pipes became clogged with grass and tree roots. When the city needed that water supply the most, it was useless. By two o'clock the flames were finally extinguished, but the smoke still lingered overhead, blocking out the afternoon sun. The burned buildings were described as smoldering stumps. Every single retail food and clothing establishment was destroyed. So if you were one of the lucky ones who still had a house, there was no food to buy. Those stores were gone. Bakersfield was left with no food and scores of homeless. This was a gigantic humanitarian crisis. Recognizing this, a call went out to area farmers and ranchers for aid. Any help they could provide would be greatly appreciated. And the farmers and ranchers responded in force. By five o'clock that afternoon, that same afternoon of the fire, flour and other provisions were already being delivered to the homes in Bakersfield that were still standing. Bakersfield leaders wasted no time getting to work to figure out how to respond to this disaster. Monday morning, July 8th, the day after the fire, a meeting was held at the Kern County Courthouse. During this meeting, a relief committee was formed. This committee's responsibility was to plan and oversee the rebuilding of Bakersfield, rebuild it, and make the city safer against future fires. The committee's resolution proclaimed, quote, that from these ashes of our present affliction shall rise a future crown of glory, a new and better Bakersfield. Unquote. This committee established that all new structures built in the downtown district would be constructed with non-wood materials. This relief committee's other duty was to respond to the many offers of assistance that were pouring in. Mayors from large and small cities across California sent telegrams offering aid. The city of Tehachapi didn't wait for a plea to go out. They simply sent $74.50 cash. You might expect these Bakersfield leaders to jump on each and every offer. But they didn't. They turned them down. This is the Relief Committee's response to Mayor Hazard of Los Angeles. To the good people of Los Angeles, through their mayor, tendered assistance. While declining such aid as unnecessary, we say God bless you. May your beautiful city never be undertaken by such a calamity. The estimate dollar amount caused by the Great Fire of 1889, was set at $2 million. It's important to note the vital role newspapers played in this recovery effort. In this era, there was no mass media, no radios or television. Newspapers were the only form available to deliver important information to the population. During this period in Bakersfield's history, there were three newspapers in circulation, the Gazette The Echo, and the Kern County Californian, a predecessor to the Bakersfield Californian. The offices of all were destroyed. The Californian borrowed a printing press from the Gazette and set up shop outside under a shade tree. At that time, the Kern County Californian was a weekly publication, published every Saturday. The first edition of the California after the fire went out right on schedule. The first Saturday after the fire, July thirteenth, eighteen eighty-nine, the headline in that Californian read, quote, "Wiped out, Bakersfield in ashes, a terrible calamity. Every business burned to the ground." Unquote. In that publication, the Californian quoted a young girl saying. Quote, There is no store, no butcher shop, no nothing, If that little girl's quote wasn't evidence enough of the total destruction of Bakersfield, the newspaper listed each business that was destroyed. Next to the business name was the dollar amount that each one lost. The list went on and on and on. Within two weeks after the Great Fire, Bakersfield businesses were beginning to dig out. 260 men were at work building, grading, and excavating. Temporary structures were erected on the sidewalks in front of the burned-out businesses. This was done so that those stores could continue offering goods and services to the citizens of Bakersfield. If a business was burned down, the newspapers published where that business was relocated. For instance, the post office was gutted. So the postmaster conducted his duties from his private residence. The newspaper let the people of Bakersfield know where to go if they needed the United States Postal Service. Thanks to the hard work of the people who suffered unimaginable loss, Bakersfield rebuilt better firefighting standards, equipment, and a more reliable water supply, were established. Bakersfield has had other large fires in its history, but nothing like the fire that burned Bakersfield down 134 years ago this week. Resources used to research this story, the Bakersfield Californian, the Kern County Californian, the books, Kern County Pioneer Recollections, and Bakersfield, a Centennial Portrait. I'm Robert Peterson. Thank you for listening to this episode. I'll be back next week, next Tuesday, with another Notorious Bakersfield story. Until then, stay safe, stay out of trouble, don't become a future episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. Have a safe 4th of July holiday.